This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today I'm delighted to introduce you to our celebrity guest, who has always been a wonderkind and is a real star in this country, putting Canada on the map, as it were, as a world-class player in film and television. Golden Globe, Emmy, and Canadian Screen Award winner Andrew Barnsley recently won an unprecedented nine Emmy Awards for the Canadian hit comedy series Schitt's Creek as executive producer with 80 episodes on CBC and Pop TV, starring Eugene Levy, Dan Levy, Catherine O'Hara, Annie Murphy, and many other talented folk. The show also won two Golden Globe Awards and 32 Canadian Screen Awards. And for those of you who know me well, you know that I'm a bit obsessed with Schitt's Creek, which I believe to be the best television series in in history, in television history. Andrew Barnsley also produces the acclaimed and award-winning show Jan, starring the incredible Jan Arden, and his wonderful other new series, Son of a Critch, the new CBC comedy based on the comedian Mark Critch's memoir, He's also the executive producer on the hot new revival of the Canadian cult classic Kids in the Hall, which has just made its dazzling comeback after 27 years. And it's airing on the streaming giant Amazon Prime Video. He has had a huge career also including the Family Channel and CBBC's tween series My Perfect Landing and Spun Out starring Dave Foley. He's done shows like Sports on Fire, the HBO doc, Spirit Unforgettable. And really, since 2001, Andrew Barnsley has produced content across multiple genres and formats, including comedy, animation, live action, children's, documentary, and multiple live concert specials. Andrew Barnsley, if that weren't enough, is also the president of the Toronto Film School, really elevating the educational institution to new heights. Not bad for the kid who was born in Lethbridge, Alberta, and moved to Halifax, Nova Scotia when he was only 12 years old. We're going to hear all about his journey in becoming one of the most successful television producers of the 21st century. Andrew Barnsley is also a huge advocate for education, holding a master's in communication and culture from a joint grad program at the Toronto Metropolitan University, formerly Ryerson, and York University, a Bachelor of Applied Arts in RTA, radio television, from Ryerson University, a Bachelor of Arts in Film Studies from Carleton, and a Bachelor of Education from St. Thomas University. As president of the Toronto Film School, Andrew Barnsley is really training a whole new generation of young filmmakers so that they're ready for the job market. And he's also giving them the tools to make a difference and create a positive impact in Canadian film and TV. He's loved comedy since he was a kid. He's always had an entrepreneurial spirit. He's gifted, highly intelligent, driven, and yet he seems to do it all with casual and effortless grace. I can't wait to find out more. Longest bio ever, Andrew Barnsley. Welcome <laughs> to Finding Your Bliss. <laughs> oh, Judy, that's, it's, I always, uh, I'm kind of overwhelmed hearing all that. It's because I've just, 
lived my life and here I am and kind of followed, you know, where I wanted to go and my ambitions and my interests and to hear it read out like that is a bit overwhelming, but thank you for that beautiful introduction. And it's a real delight to be here. So well-deserved and uh, so happy about that. I can't wait to hear all about Schitt's Creek and Jan, the Jan Arden series, Son of a Critch, and of course, the new Kids in the Hall and so much more. But as they say in the musical, let's start at the very beginning. (laughs) Your path really, Andrew, has been a remarkable one. You were born in Lethbridge, Alberta. You moved to Halifax when you were just a child. And you said that what really got you through all of this upheaval of moving all across the country was comedy, movies, Mad Magazine, TV shows. And you said when you moved to Halifax, it was hard to make friends, but comedy was something you could rely on. What was it about sketch comedy, and I believe even stand-up, that you loved so much? That's a really good question. And it's true. You know, from a really early age, I just had this pull towards comedy. And it really was as a consumer and a fan, more than anything, I really didn't have ambitions towards becoming a comedy producer until later in life, primarily because I didn't even know it was an option. Like it was just, you know, that that just was such a uh, an impossible dream. I had a lot of time to sort of reflect on comedy. Like when you're a 12-year-old, you don't really think about your relationship with comedy. Uh, you just, or, or television or entertainment or, or music or anything, you just have it and you enjoy it and you don't really reflect on that. But for me, I've always loved laughing and I was always, I, I my parents would, you know, when I was growing up even younger than 12 as a baby, they referred to me as Happy Andrew. And it was just something that I think was a part of me. I wanted, like, I liked having a smile on my face. I liked, you know, being around laughter. And even before I had the sort of disruptive move that you mentioned when I was 12, I did read comic books and like Archie and like it was not not sort of the Marvel world or DC. It was really more along the lines of ones that had a sense of humor to it. Uh, And then when I moved across the country when I was 12, that's really when I discovered, you know, it was a lonely time for a while and you know, dealing with things of being an adolescent and kind of finding myself in a new city on the other side of the country. And I really just found myself loving and thinking about comedy and sitcoms and magazines like Mad Magazine and stand-up comedy, sketch comedy. These were all things that where I found joy. And even in kind of moments where I was kind of living in a bit of sadness due to the disruption, it really provided me an opportunity to laugh and in some cases of stand-up and sketch comedy, see a point of view I hadn't necessarily encountered before, uh, a sensibility that I hadn't really thought about before. So it kind of opened, not only did it bring me the joy of, of laughter, but it also kind of opened ways of seeing the world in different ways, which I hadn't really thought about before. When I think about comedy, it's really sort of the power of comedy is to bring ideas to people in very palatable ways. And we, we certainly experienced that with Schitt's Creek, with Jan, where we're able, and Son of a Critch and Kids in the Hall is a huge example of it, where they were very much activist, you know, sketch comedians, where, you know, they were all about pushing the envelope on culture and making people think differently about things and all done through comedy. And that, you know, when now that I reflect on it, the power of comedy is pretty, is pretty great. And how cool 
that shows like Codco and Kids in the Hall were everything to you. Talk about full circle. You loved Kids in the Hall as a kid. And now here you are executive producing their series, which is phenomenal. And everyone's raving about it. I, our uh, supervising producer, Mag Ruffman, actually said that she's a very good friend with Sarah Polly, and that Sarah was saying that she loves the show so much. And the opening made her laugh so hard that she almost barfed. <laughs> <laughs> That's a compliment. <laughs> and I also talked to stand-up comic Simon Rakoff, who said the show is hilarious and loves that the kids went from their 20s to their 60s. And now they can be even edgier because the show's on Amazon, not on a network. And I mean, it's just the coolest. And and Lauren Michaels is producing it. And you're the executive producer. Like, it just doesn't get any better. How did this all evolve? Because this must have been a real trip for you, considering that you yeah. loved them as a kid. No, it's a it's a trip is exactly the way to describe it. I you know, I've had I've been very lucky enough to have a few moments in my career where I just have to pinch myself and and just be like, how did I end up here? Like, what <laughs> what did I do? And and really, a lot of it has to do with with having the opportunity to work with comedy legends and people that that have been so influential on my life and kind of shaped my worldview. And Kids in the Hall are certainly at the top of that. You know, also of course Eugene Levy, Catherine O'Hara, the whole SCTV world. Uh, you know, those are examples. But with Kids in the Hall, you know, I worked with Dave Foley from Kids in the Hall on Spun Out. Out. Yeah. So that was one of the first, what well, was really the first show that my company, Project 10 Productions, produced. And we cast Dave Foley in it. And we did that for we did 26 episodes of that for CTV. Yes. I think in like around 2014, 2015. Uh, and I sort of got to know Dave a little bit. He saw my style. We worked together for a couple of years. And then also I'd been spending, prior to the pandemic, spending a lot of time going back and forth to Los Angeles. You know, we've had some, uh, got to know the team at Amazon, uh, started to build relationships with the team at Broadway Video, which is Lauren Michael's company. And it really was kind of these three forces coming together. And because I knew Dave, I also knew Bruce McCullough from other work, another member of the troupe. And it was kind of these, all these, like I said, all these forces came together at the right time when the kids in the hall wanted to, you know, have a reboot of their series. And here <laughs> we are, you know, we, it just landed at a great time. Amazon was looking to enter into Canada with original productions and kids in the hall happened to be the one that was first out of the gate for them. And I and the company had a relationship with the troupe, a relationship with Amazon Broadway video, and it all just kind of came together and, wow. and very surreal and quite the trip and oh. being with with <laughs> being on set of kids in the hall oh, you know knowing wow. my personal history to it was pretty special yeah i just i can congratulations on that and on everything if i forget to congratulate you wow. i want to say congratulations on all of it you know andrew ever since you were young you've sort of been a star you always had an entrepreneurial spirit and you also knew yourself really well because when you were accepted into mount allison university in sackville new brunswick and I love that you were there because that's a very beautiful part of Canada. You knew right away that those courses weren't speaking to you. Like you knew yourself, which is so important. Like I'm a life coach, so I get the bliss thing. But that's fabulous that you knew this at a young age. And you were leafing through that annual McLean's Magazine issue that we all know, the university ranking <laughs> issue that comes out once a year. And you saw that Ryerson 
was offering a radio, television, arts program, and you immediately jumped on the idea and knew that you had to find a way to get to Toronto. How did you do it? How did it all happen? Well, I was always, you're right, from, I, I remember even growing up and living in Lethbridge, um, you know, I had it in my mind that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I kind of didn't really know what that meant. But I kind of, I think in my head, I always liked the idea of, you know, how do you turn an idea in like a small, tiny idea into something big and tangible and, and real. And really, that's sort of what entrepreneurship kind of meant to me. And from that age, I really looked for leadership opportunities. How do I how do I kind of get in a position where I can like think about ideas and work with ideas and work with people and build teams and move things forward? And I did that really without really knowing that I was doing that. It was just something I was drawn to. So I like I became actively involved in student council. Um, you know, I think I was the editor of a school newspaper, things like that in, in public school. But when it came to a career, I kind of struggled with that in high school. And I knew that, you know, post-secondary education was very important to me and it was important to my, my family. So I was going to go to university and I went not having a clue what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. but I had a, this spirit in me that I wanted to do sort of big, ambitious things. So I went to Mount Allison University, which, you know, was a highly ranked liberal arts university and continues to be, and very excited to go there. But after a couple of years, I was just like, when is this, when is kind of the world and my career going to reveal itself to me? <laughs> then I sort of became impatient. And I kind of, and I look back at, you know, I would have been 1920 at the time. And where did this kind of wisdom or drive come from or confidence even to say like, this is not for me. Halfway right. through, halfway through a program, at a university that's, you know, a lot of people would do anything to get into. And I was just like, this isn't for me. And that's right. I saw this ad or not. It was a, an article about at the time it was Ryerson, uh, but their radio and television arts program. And I was like, Whoa, this is a thing. <laughs> you can actually <laughs> study this and you can get a degree. And, and it just kind of opened up my eyes because I was a consumer of, content of comedy and movies and magazines and this sort of thing. And I, it was like, I had never considered that. I was doing a Bachelor of Arts in psychology, just waiting for the a career, like I said, to reveal itself to me. But I was like, okay, I have to take ownership of this. I have to really, if I'm going to do something, I can't wait for it to just happen. I have to be an active participant in yes. charting my path. And that was really, it, it was a risky move. It was... You know, it was tough to tell my parents I was dropping out. Uh, it was it was tough to do that without, because I dropped out without having been accepted to Ryerson, and I ended up not going to that into that program at that time. Uh, it took a couple of years to figure that out, but I I didn't have a fully crystallized plan in place. But I just took a leap of faith, and I was like, I'm going to figure this out, and I believe in myself, and. Yes. You know, I had supportive family and, and, and all of that who were like, okay, if this is the decision you're going to make, do it. And I did it. And, you know, slowly kind of built upon experiences and moved forward and, you know, and ended up really pursuing my dreams and, and achieving 
things beyond my wildest dreams. Beyond your wildest dreams. But, but I want to just add that you also built up a portfolio. You did a lot of things to affect change and to make this happen. First of all, you began with your passion, which I have to say to everyone, that's where you start, right? Yeah. You begin with your passion, with what excites you and delights you. But you also did a lot of cool things. You got your first gig at the Parliament of Canada, where you worked as a page. And you even set up a meeting with a member of Parliament, Andy Scott, from your family's hometown of Fredericton. And you asked him out for lunch. That's gutsy for a young kid to do. <laughs> and you interviewed him and you were industrious and resourceful and and you built this portfolio. And, you know, it's hard work too. Like you're saying that, you know, you left and you didn't quite have a plan, but you did do a lot of great things to make yeah. it happen, right? No, and I did. And one thing that I became very comfortable with early on was the idea of being uncomfortable. I kind of learned that to move forward, you actually have to take risks and taking risks means you're, you're, there's a lot of discomfort there and there's a lot of unknown. But, you know, I talk about it as like identifying a vision, someplace where I want to go, anchoring myself to that and then figuring out the path, how to get there. And a lot of times it's just, it's uncomfortable, sure. but that's really, that's to me how you grow. That's how you evolve. That's how you move forward. Uh, I was never one to really sit and, and wait for the world to happen for me. I really wanted to be an active participant in it. I see that. Especially when it came to career. And that's been, that's really been your trajectory always. So you arrive in Toronto and you've said it was a game changer for you because not only were you doing a bachelor's in radio and television and a master's in communications and culture, but you also became a regular fixture in Toronto's improv and stand-up scenes. I know them well because I was definitely a fixture as well uh, in a similar way, sort of. What do you remember about that time going to Yucks and going to Second City and just absorbing yeah. all of that fun comedy? So when I moved to Toronto, the program I was going into was two years. And I really kind of put a two-year clock on things. I was like, how do I get the most out of this experience living in Toronto? It was my first time. You know, when I was, my family was living in New Brunswick, I was like, oh, I need to have a big city experience. That was something that was important to me. And I was like, Ottawa it is. Toronto was too big. I was like, it's not, it's not going to be Toronto because I was just a bit nervous about that. But then the program I wanted to go into was in Toronto and it's like, okay, what do I need to do? And so I really thought about it from a couple of different angles, uh, knowing that I was very interested in becoming a TV producer. One of the angles was my education. I really was like, I really have to have that educational foundation in place for me to achieve what I want to achieve. Mm -hmm. And by the time I came to Toronto, I had had already had a couple of degrees. I had a BA from Carleton and I had a Bachelor of Education degree from St. Thomas University in Fredericton. So I was, as you said, introduction, education was very important to me and I understood that. And I came from a family of educators. But I also, that was one piece of it. The other piece was I have to get industry experience. So I started volunteering at the CDC and figuring out ways to get onto sets. But the third was following my passion, which was comedy. And, you know, I didn't really, hadn't really lived in towns or cities where there was a vibrant comedy scene. So I, it, I just started going to comedy clubs, not as a comedian, not as a writer, not as anything, but really as just a fan. And what I found was these three kind of forces, the education, the experience in TV and comedy all kind of came together. And I was like, there is, there's an opportunity here. This is, there's something interesting because I started talking to young comics and young sketch comedians and standups and 
what I started doing was having conversations about saying who I was in terms of what I was studying and where I was going and what my ambitions were. And all of a sudden, I was finding myself in conversations with creative people saying, well, this is what I want to do. I, you know, I, I'm a comic. I like writing jokes. I like telling stories. And, and they're like, it would be great to have a TV show, develop a TV show. So I kind of say that what I do now is almost identical to what I was doing then. It's just like working with people who have ideas, primarily comics or people with comedic sensibilities and views on the world. And how do you build sort of business around that? How do you build economics around it? Which really means how do you create pitch documents? How do you, how do you think about an idea and turn it into a show or an engine for a show? These sorts of things. And then once I started doing that and thinking about you know, what a pitch could look like, never having pitched before in my life. <laughs> then I just started meeting managers and agents, and then they would introduce me to executives at broadcasters. And it just kind of turned into this thing, which really was the foundation for a career. I didn't really know that at the time, but it certainly was. And that just sort of set me on my way. And to this day, you know, I have great relationships with comic talent in Toronto. I have great relationships with broadcasters and buyers. And it all kind of came from that, that place of wanting to figure it out when I got to Toronto and follow my passion. You've actually said this quite a bit in all of my research that I did on you was about relationships and how important they are. And really as an executive producer that you're sort of in the middle, if, if you could explain what an executive producer is, you say it so beautifully, I can read you the quote, but how you're sort of in the middle of the two worlds. You're with the talent, you're with the directors, you're with the actors, but you're also with the broadcasters and the networks. And But you have an uncanny ability to develop relationships and maintain relationships, such good ones. And we're going to get to some of the cool things that have happened as a result. But why is relationships so important in this industry? Well, I don't think it's just this industry. I just think it's in life too. You kind of are who you're surrounded by. And I have always just invested in, and I, that's not in a cold way or a, it's really just, I, I, put myself into my into relationships and I am pulled to different people and different types of people. I get excited when people are excited and I like getting to know people. I like when people have big dreams and ambitions and I like talking to them about that and figuring out ways to to create good and help people sort of achieve their ambitions and goals. And it's just something that I've learned with anything. It's how things kind of move and evolve is when you're surrounded by good people and you're on the same page and everybody's pulling in the same direction. And that's really how things get done. You know, it's anytime I've, that's how I kind of see when we're putting shows together. It's like, how do we assemble the, the best people? How do we make sure that we all trust each other, that we're, we're you know, have the same destination in mind so that we're all pulling in the same direction because that's how, you know, we achieve great things. So you're a modest guy, you're a humble guy, because I'm going to say I can't get over how you really seem to have this Midas touch, that everything you touch turns to gold. I mean, let's just, I, you know, we're going to go through a lot of the shows, but everything you do, whether it's the Jan show or Son of a Critch, and we'll get to those in a moment. But I have to ask you about that pivotal evening when you were at a Blue Jays game with a friend and mentor, Peter Sussman from Alliance Atlantis. And in the eighth inning, love that, he 
pitches something to you, not a baseball, that was about to change your life forever. What happened that night? Don't answer that just yet. We're going to go on a short commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to hear about a show that you got involved with that really changed your life. We'll be right back after this short break. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by Create, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. Create is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. Create is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, Create is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. Create has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? Create Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about Create Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740 FM 96.7. And I'm here having a fascinating conversation with award-winning executive producer Andrew Barnsley. And just before the break, Andrew, I asked you about a life-changing, transformative moment in your career that went down in the eighth inning of a Blue Jays game. Can you tell us what happened that night? Well, I had been producing a series called Spun Out for CTV at the time, and it was a very, very challenging show to put together. Uh, There were all sorts of struggles, like financial, personnel, creative. It was was very challenging. Great way to learn, right? Great way to learn. Yeah, well, exactly. And I was doing it. It was my first time doing it through my own production company. And it really was sort of this this learning by, you know, fire. It was was a lot. But... (laughs) I got, we got through it. And one of the reasons, one of the very big reasons I got through it was because of uh, Peter Sussman and Peter Sussman just helped me sort of mentored me, helped point me in the right direction. You, you know, was always there to answer the phone when I needed some support and guidance. But most of the time we just talked about business because that's where my mind was. It's like, I have to keep this show on track. I have to make sure we deliver on time and on budget. I have to make sure, you know, people aren't fighting, like all these things. (laughs) And uh, it's all I really thought about. But uh, so when that season wrapped, it was a huge sense of accomplishment. But also in my head, I was just like, I've done it and I can't stop. I have to keep figuring out what the next moves are because I don't want this to be this flash in the pan moment. Sure. Uh, So that was always in the back of my head that I have to keep building momentum. But because Peter and I had never really hung out socially, he very graciously at the end of the production was like, hey, Andrew, you know, we haven't hung out socially and we both like going to baseball games. He's like, why don't we go? Why don't we go to a baseball game and we can just hang out and get to know each other in a different way? I was like, that sounds wonderful. Let's do that. So we went and it was me and Peter and his son, Jack and and so we just sat and watched the game and enjoyed it and just talked about life and we didn't talk about business at all and then like you said I would think it was like in the eighth inning Peter looked at me and said hey Andrew do you think you could you know you achieved a lot with Spun Out that was a tough show do you think you could take another show on 
And I was like, well, it was hard. And I said, but you know, I have the team in place now. We have the systems in place. I really feel there's a foundation where we could take on more. Uh, and he said, okay, well, listen, I have a friend. It looks <laughs> like he's probably going to get a show at CBC. He needs a producer. If this is something you'd be interested in, I can make an introduction. I was like, oh, well, that sounds great. Like, let's, I'd be open to that. He's like, oh yeah, by the way, his name is Eugene Levy on the show which was free. And that was it. And I was just like, okay. And then the game was oh, over. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And I was like, did that just happen? And am I going to? So yeah, so that's kind of where that all started. Wow. So this is like royalty. This mm-hmm. is a comedy legend. And now you have your first meeting with Eugene. I don't know if Dan was there at the time versus you and Eugene. Yeah, it was me, Eugene and Peter at Peter's office and just went in. I was very nervous. I think I was maybe, you know, young in the sense that, that, you know, I was 38, 39. I hadn't, you know, Eugene was a movie star, you know, from the American Pie movies, from all this. I hadn't really encountered a, a celebrity of that stature before. So I was a bit nervous, but went in, introduced myself to Eugene. We spoke for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I told him about my experience on Spun Out, what we did, what I do in terms of, of helping put shows together, really believing in the vision and the voice of the creator. And really my job is just to make sure we're elevating that and supporting it and protecting it. And at the end of the meeting, he was like, hey, this is good to me. He said, and he's like, if Peter says you're the guy, you're the guy, let's, let's do this. Let's and do that, this. Was, that was it. And then a couple of days later, I think I met Dan. We had a went for a coffee and, you know, it just started moving forward and picking up the head of steam that, that it did. Catherine said yes, and the rest is history. I'm not just saying this to wax eloquent because I'm a huge television fan and have always loved shows like Mary Tyler Moore and All in the Family and MASH and Seinfeld. And I'm even going to hazard to say Dick Van Dyke and I Love Lucy. And there's something about this show, and I'm not alone. I'm speaking for, I think, most Canadians and now most people around the world. When I tell you, it's unprecedented. (laughs) It got people through the pandemic. When you were in lockdown, when you weren't allowed to go out, there was something comforting and cozy and homespun and funny and hilarious and heartwarming and inclusive. So fantastic. So I watched the entire series six times in full. So at 80 episodes times six, that would equal 480 episodes, not to mention the documentary, Best Wishes, Warm Regards, which I have right here. We're going to be giving one as a giveaway on this show. Did you have to pinch yourself? We talked about this earlier every day when you went to work because this thing took on a life of its own and you were in large part attributable to it started off in CBC and pop TV, but getting it to Netflix in season four just made it explode. Like it really was like a kaleidoscope effect Mm -hmm. where it just took off in I think ways no one even imagined, probably including you as well. Were you just going, oh my God, what has happened here? This phenomenon. That's exactly it. I mean, we knew, I think after the first season, after seeing the reaction from the fans, we knew we were onto something. And that was evident in kind of the the numbers, but also just the fan support that the show received in that first season. But it really wasn't... It, it, well, the show really struggled to find an international audience. You know, Pop TV was a new network. They had just rebranded from... Uh, they actually were the TV Guide Network in the U.S. 
and they were looking for a flagship show. They found it, but it was, there wasn't a huge audience there for it. But we kept making the shows and we knew there was something good and CBC was so supportive and our international distributor ITV was so supportive. And we just knew if we kept kind of plugging away, we would hopefully find something. And once it did land on sort of Netflix and found a global audience, it just transformed the conversation and Mm. the trajectory of the series. And you're right, we could not imagine it. There's no way to. There's no way to. Uh, It was incredibly special and just what a fun ride to be on. Wonderful. And I look, I got to say, I got to hand it to you and really say congratulations to all of you. But my goodness, I know that you're at the helm and you're a modest guy. And I think you had a lot to do with this. If I call it a couple of names, can you just tell me just a few words, what you think of the person, how you felt about working with them? Uh, Eugene Levy. Oh, I mean, he is one of the most grounded, nicest, caring, generous people I know. And and uh, just learned so much from him. Love just sitting around and hearing old stories. I have a lot of time for Eugene. Yeah, he's he's a wonderful human. Catherine O'Hara. Catherine, like the talent there, you're just blown away if you're on set and you see kind of what she does and the presence she has. Uh, it's it's actually mind-blowing. And the other thing, too, again, sort of a generosity with the time, I would bring my daughter to set, and Catherine would always come over and say hi. So it was very, Aww. very special. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Dan Levy, who I think has changed so much for so many people. Yeah. Dan is, a, uh, is somebody that I have a lot of respect and admiration for. And one thing from the very beginning that we knew and was so evident was just the precision he had for what the show should be. He really, it, like creatively, he knew he um, held us all to very high standards, which was great. And that, you know, we needed that for the show. But that precision in what the show was and how we needed to get there uh, was truly remarkable. Annie Murphy. Annie's so fun. Yeah, she just always had a smile on her face. And and I think she was probably pinching herself as much as uh, we all were, too. Uh, No, and it's so exciting to see her having the career she's building. Absolutely. Noah Reed, my goodness, I'm just going to say as an artist, and we don't have time for this, that beautiful Governor General's Award when he played in the field for Catherine O'Hara as they were presenting the award to her. And Oh, that's just another show that blew me away. But Noah Reed. Yeah, no, he's somebody, such a such a pro, always, uh, you know, wanted to come and have conversations, was there. You know, he came in a bit later in, in the run, his character, but just blended in seamlessly. <laughs> and you think about that character and what he and Dan achieved with that, it's it's truly remarkable. And billboards, powerful. even yeah. billboards happened. Yeah, pretty yeah. amazing. And Emily Hampshire. Oh, Emily. I was going to kick out of Emily. She's she's a bit of a wild card. And I mean that in the most respectful way. She's She has this, brings an energy to every set and every conversation. Uh, yes. She's a lot of fun. Yeah. I, I can't go through the rest of the cast because every single person blows me away. <laughs> what would you say you learned the most from working with Eugene and Catherine O'Hara with these two really Canadian royalty? If you had to say main thing yeah that's a good question um you know those are people that have had incredible careers they've been at it for 40 plus years and have just been at the top of their game the whole time it really was that again 
just to maintain careers like that and have the level of respect they have. It's, you know, the professionalism you bring to it, but also the accessibility, the the humor, the genuineness of it. They're just real people. And mm-hmm. I think that was something I really admired with both of them. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I just learned a lot from that, seeing that these are these are people that you see them having had that success over over the decades and they're still just down to earth people and they didn't let any of that really get to them. And that's that's admirable. Yes. I think you have a similar sensibility because I think their thing is aim higher, like aim high, but aim higher and yet be menschy as you're doing it. Be just be a nice guy yeah. as you're doing it. And they're like that. And I think you're like that as well. Oh, and just briefly what that night was like back in 2020 when you had that clean sweep and Shit's <laughs> Creek took home nine exceptional Emmy Awards. Talk about heady stuff. Can you just paint us a quick picture of what that evening was like? Yeah, for you? I mean, you have to remember, like, this was the, you know, kind of wasn't the height of the pandemic, but definitely almost the height of the lockdown where, you know, people were still nervous to go outside. You hadn't seen people in a long time. So we put, you know, we all wanted to kind of get together. Everybody was in Toronto. So we all followed very strict protocols. And so we all, everybody who was going and every member of the household that they were in all tested. And then we quarantined, I think for three days or something like this. And then we went to this event and none of us had been to an event in months, months and months. This was end of September. We'd been in lockdown since, you know, mid March. So yeah. six and a half yeah. months plus. So not only were we seeing people for the first time that, you know, we had these lives with for six years, yes. we were yes. also doing it, not having seen anybody in that amount of time. And we were doing it at the Emmys in Toronto <laughs> at Casa Loma. Like, it's, you can't explain it. It I, really I, was this very surreal experience. And by the way, none of us expected that night to go the way it did. Wow. We were like, we think we're all, we think Catherine will get it. We're pretty confident <laughs> Catherine will get it. And hers was the first award presented yeah. of the night and she won. And we're like, over the moon. And we all went up and congratulated her and we're like, we did it. We are an Emmy award winning show. And kind of like that was enough. And then we just kept winning. And it was it, like, it, like I said, it's really impossible to understand. And just to be in, in a small room with the people that got the show there was so special. And in fact, I had been to the Emmys the year before cause we were nominated and it wasn't, it was so, such a different experience, obviously, but the team wasn't all together. There were some mm-hmm. of us in different parts of the theater. There were thousands of people in the theater, but to be at, in this space where I think there was like 18 of us there celebrating together, I can't think of a better way for it to have happened. So it's, I don't know, it, it will never, I can't imagine anything like that ever happening again. It was, it was very, very special. I'm so happy for you guys. It is so well-deserved. That's all I can say. In 2014, (laughs) to change gears for a minute, you were named the new establishment by Playback Magazine. And you're a pretty young guy. So how did that make you feel as the kid who wanted to be a producer since he was 20 years old and probably even before to be called the new establishment? It was surprising. And in fact, what was interesting is 
playback would do a, um, they, they still do this. They do a 10 to watch type thing. And I had never been recognized in any way by the industry in that, in that sense of my career. And you know, it wasn't really something I was looking for, but I felt that that would have been why I was like, you know, I just produced, I think spun out or was going into spun out. And I was like, it would be nice to be considered for the 10 to watch. And so Playback contacted me and they're like, Andrew, we've been watching you. Like, don't worry about that. And in fact, they said, we're going, we, we want to create another award. And it was the new establishment. And so that was one that they just, you know, said this defines it better. And this defines sort of, or frames what your position in the industry is. It's like, you know, I was, I think I was 39 at the time. And it was just pretty, it was a real honor. And really moving to think that, you know, I'd come to Toronto when I was, you know, 24. And in 15 years, I had gone from knowing nothing about TV to being considered and, and, and not have not, not only not knowing anything about it, but not really having any relationships or connectivity to it, to that industry. And here I was being recognized as the new establishment. It was, again, one of these kind of surreal pinch me moments. And congratulations again on that. So so one of the things that I notice about you is you're driven relentlessly to succeed. And yet you're affable. You have a smile on your face. You're easygoing. You don't look like you ever break a sweat. I don't know if you play tennis, so I don't know. But I've never, I, you don't seem like the type to break a sweat. What's the secret? Like, what? how does that all work? Because you're driven. I know you yeah, are. Yeah, yeah. I, I really, uh, Spun Out was, I was, this was not the case in Spun Out. I was very stressed. Uh, it was a tough, tough job to keep it on track. Yes. And when I got through that, I really kind of made a decision that I can't do, go through that again for yes. my for health reasons, for mental health reasons. Because you're right, like my I do prefer to be calm, collected, and easygoing, but really focused. And that's how I want to be, and that's how I felt I was prior to that. But. I kind of made a very conscious decision after that. It's just to prioritize calm and just be like, I kind of always have to figure out ways to be able to center myself and to not live in, not live in stress. You know, there are certainly lots of stressful situations and you react to it, but I can't, it was actually a conscious decision to just prioritize calm. And it sounds silly and simple, but it was, that's really what it came down to. It's, I really want to make sure I'm kind of always breathing in a regular way. I'm not panicking about things. And like I said, that's not always the case, but it's how do I kind of get back? And if you're prioritizing calm, it means that that's where I want my default setting to be. Do you meditate? Not real. I, I don't, I think I do. I actually think I do, but I don't necessarily call it that. I do a lot of breathing exercises, you know, nice. I kind of go into bed. I make sure I'm stretched out in a particular way that gets me, calms me down. But I also, uh, one thing I started doing when I was around 40 and dealing with a lot of the stress of spun out, I started lifting weights, which is a, a funny thing to do nice. and working with a trainer doing powerlifting. And what I loved about it was if you do something wrong, you can really hurt yourself. And what it forces you to do is to focus all your energy, everything into one singular thing. And you, that by doing that, you're pushing everything out. And that really became kind of a form of meditation for me. It's just like focusing on a singular thing and clearing your head. 
clearing your head. So smart. Uh, we have so much more to cover. So I'm going to go quickly with these last okay. few things because I know you are a big fan of Jan, as we all are. Another phenomenal success story. Congratulations on that as well. And I just wanted to know if you could tell us about the one page pitch on a series around Jan Arden that turned into CTV's newest sitcom. How did you bring Jan into the spotlight? We're going to find out all about that one-page pitch right after this short commercial break. We'll be right back with more on Jan Arden, Kids in the Hall, Son of a Critch, and of course, Andrew Barnsley when we come back. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio AM 740. I'm Judy Liebrach, and I've been having a delightful conversation with the uber-talented executive producer, Andrew Barnsley. And I was just asking you, Andrew, before the break about the one-page pitch for the CBC sitcom, Jan. Can you tell us about that? Oh, well, Jan and I had some mutual friends. So we didn't know each other, but we had, like, one of our lawyers was connected to Jan through her sister. And basically, as I remember, Jan was a big fan of Schitt's Creek. And she was like, how do I do that? What does that look like? And so we, through a mutual friend, we set a call and we just talked for probably an hour about TV and what she wanted to do and what it would look like, uh, how, you know, me and my, my team could help get her there. And uh, we just really took our time and found the creative that worked for her. We built a team around her that made sense. And then we took it to CTV and they saw it and moved on it very quickly. Another one, and that's, that's such a great one. And I want to try to say this quickly, but there's so many full circle moments. So a show that you loved as a kid, Codco, which was Kathy Jones, Mary Walsh, Tommy Sexton, and Greg Malone led to This Hour Has 22 Minutes. And what's so cool is Son of a Critch, is, uh, Simon Rakoff also, who I did a little research with before the show, said that he thinks it's so sweet and clever and funny and the acting's so great. But the coolest thing is that Mark Critch is from This Hour Has 22 yeah. Minutes, which came from Codco essentially. So when yeah. Another full circle moment. It's just a fabulous, fabulous show. Just briefly, can you tell us about Son of a Critch, the new uh, CBC comedy? It's fabulous. Well, Son of a Critch is a very, uh, I, I actually connect to it personally too. So when Mark Critch and Tim McAuliffe, the creators of the show, came to Project 10 to ask us if we'd be interested in doing this, the answer was yes, because um, <laughs> not only was the material very good, it was, and we read Mark's. Uh, memoir. It's funny, but it's set in 1980s Newfoundland. And uh, it just so happens that my mom is a Newfoundlander. And I would spend, when I was growing up, I would spend summers 
in Newfoundland in the same era that Son of a Critch is set. So it's yes. become a very personal endeavor for me. I still have aunts and uncles and cousins in St. John's and, and in Newfoundland. And it's just a world that I love very much and, and our cast is so incredible. But it's, it's uh, yeah, it's sort of a coming of age story in mid 80s St. John's, Newfoundland. And you specialize in homespun and heartfelt series, Son of a Critch, Schitt's Creek. These are very, very similar. And you had mentioned to me on the phone before this interview that you have grandparents from both sides of the country. One set lived out in Vancouver Island. The other lived in Mm -hmm. Newfoundland. And you traveled from coast to coast. And I was thinking that it's almost like you've absorbed the heartbeat of this country. You understand it because you've traversed the country. And I wish I could say more about this, but I have to talk about the film school because it's phenomenal that you are the president and they are so lucky to have you. I know that even more now that we're talking uh, so that you can help propel the careers of young filmmakers and television makers. What makes you so passionate about this work? Well, I'm a big believer in education. That's a big part of it. And I'm obviously very passionate about this industry as well. And when I think about my role in film and television production in Canada and in the world, I start to see the things that I've done and, you know, often think that there's a responsibility that goes along with that when you're a leader and what does that look like? And particularly in in an industry that's continuing to grow, in Canada. And it just felt like a real opportunity to be part of that growth and to be an industry leader and to help shape the, the new voices coming out of Canada, that, but also helping to contribute to a labor pool that elevates the production value and the productions that are coming out of Canada, not just domestically, but Canada has really become a global destination for production as well. Yes. So it just means, it means a lot to be here uh, I love, I'm here right now and I love seeing students in the hallways again and, and hearing that. But it just feels like it's a way for me to contribute in very meaningful ways and also to use some of the experiences that I've had to help elevate those voices and make sure that we're putting on our students and our graduates on the right career paths for success. And for those of you who are listening, you know, there's so many things uh, since Andrew took over as president, you've begun a series of talks called In Conversation With, which brought together high profile speakers like Annie Murphy, Jason Priestley, Adam McGoyan, Tatiana Maslany, and Nia Vardalis, who I know from oh, my nice. big fat Greek wedding. And I know she, yeah, she goes back to yuck, yuck days. And sure enough, she went to Second City and the rest is history. Okay. I know we have to wrap and I know you have to go. Two more questions. Yeah. I'm scrapping 20 and it's killing me. <laughs> I know, <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. What is your ultimate dream that you would love to do in this industry? Or has it happened already? Oh, how? Uh, yeah, of course it's happened. <laughs> like it's, it's, uh, yeah, you know, I kind of look back on the last couple of years and to have won Emmys and to be sitting in this seat as president of Toronto Film School. How does it get any better than that? You know, these are both realities that I never dreamed of. It's just sort of, this is where I ended up. Where we go from here, I just want to be, uh, make sure that I'm contributing in very meaningful ways to the industry, that I'm contributing in meaningful ways to new and emerging voices, to tell Canadian stories, to tell diverse stories, and to help find global audiences, you know, through my contacts and relationships. You know, I now know that there is an appetite for Canadian stories and Canadian voices. And if I can 
uh, a global appetite. Uh, so if anything I can do to help elevate that, uh, that is just, that's a dream for me. What is bliss for Andrew Barnsley? Uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed with what, you know, the people around me, um, how I kind of see the world, the friends and family and colleagues that I have. Bliss is waking up every morning, excited to see what adventures there are ahead of me for that day. I'm very lucky that every day is different. Uh, I never know how each day is going to unfold. There are surprises every day. There's laughter every day. There's you know, drama every day. And I just love living life. And I love having the opportunity to travel uh, with my family, but for work and just have friends around the world. And I feel very, very lucky to be living the life that I'm living right now. Pretty incredible stuff. I have to ask this final question. I know I speak for every fan of Schitt's Creek, but will there be any sequels, spinoffs, movies, or reunion shows? It took 27 years for the kids in the hall to have their revival. I hope it won't be as long for Schitt's Creek. <laughs> that is a question for Mr. Dan Levy. I'm going to leave it with him. I just, I want to thank you. It's really been an absolute honor. Truly, it's oh, been an honor thank you, to Judy. speak to you. You're a great person, which is, I think, a big secret to your success in addition to all of your wonderful skills. And what is the best way for people to get in touch with the Toronto Film School and with you on social media, et cetera? Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I love the work we're doing here in Toronto Film School and would love anybody to take a look at our offerings, particularly if you're considering uh, career in film and television production. There was a time where they weren't, you know, careers in, in film and television production were elusive and were dream careers. These are huge economic engines right now, big employers. And in fact, there are labor shortages from coast to coast that we as producers deal with all the time. Uh, so there's huge opportunities. So really, uh, torontofilmschool.ca is a great resource and you can learn about careers and some of our offerings there. And yeah, you know, you can, if you're interested, you know, I'm on social media, you can look for me. Uh, I don't necessarily uh, post a lot, but the things that are interesting and important to me, I do put up there. Thank you, Andrew. This was so wonderful. Thank you, Judy. Thank you. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Each week we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. And if you're an author, artist, yoga, meditation, or mindfulness expert, or just a very inspirational person who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach. And if I can help you in any way, find your bliss or reconnect with your bliss, reach out to me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. I'm also on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And all you have to do is search up Judy Liebrack. And of course, you can always follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I would like to thank our wonderful guest, Andrew Barnsley, for being on the show today. And thank you as well to Meg Ruffman, Siobhan Kiley, associate producer and audio engineer, Naira Amani, senior editor, Lauren Kaminsky, video editor, Beatrice Pardal, audio producer, Faz Kazi, and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. In Bliss News, we are happy to announce a giveaway courtesy of Finding Your Bliss. And what we're giving away is a fabulous copy of the hardcover coffee table style book, 
Best wishes, warmest regards, The Story of Schitt's Creek, written by Dan Levy and Eugene Levy. The book is filled to the brim with beautiful photographs of Moira's wigs and all of the costumes on the show and gorgeous full-color illustrations of each member of the cast with their story of their character. It's so cool the way it's done. It's just a wonderful and fun book to have. And for any Schitt's Creek fans out there, you'll want to get in on this. Or if you know someone who's a big fan and who loves Schitt's Creek, this is the perfect gift. So to enter this giveaway, all you have to do is go to at the Bliss Minute on Instagram and make sure to like the contest post, tag two friends, and away you go. The contest closes on Tuesday, May 31st at 6 p.m. We're going to close out the show today with a great quote by Sarah Levy, who plays Twyla on Schitt's Creek. And she says, it's about how you live your life, doing what makes you smile. For everyone here, I'm Judy Liebrack, reminding you all to take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.